Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. Uh, and for today's pod, we're uh, talking about psychedelics. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, you had that right. Um, and no, I haven't snapped, although that's probably debatable. Um, I say we because I have a little uh, person on my journey into the cosmic or the trip or whatever you want to call it. Um, and should probably debunk all the things I'm just saying. Um, as a person, uh, my guest, Tara Austin. Uh, Tara is a uh, behavioral and brand strategist. Um, but also, more importantly, uh, a psychedelic evangelist and campaign director for Par Global. Welcome, Tara. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So off camera, we were talking about um, your job titles. Um, I thought maybe we could just start there. Uh, apparently, psychedelic evangelist. Should I not be saying that? <laughs> well, I, I like it and I've been using it for a little while to describe uh, what it is I try and do and spread the word um, about psychedelic medicine. Uh, but the comms guy that I'm working with at the moment, um, that he's he's joined the campaign, and he's saying to me that it's a bit too culty. I should I should say advocate or lobbyist or something that sounds a little bit less uh, less weird <laughs> for people. But um, but it's true. I I consider myself to be very evangelical um, about the medicine, and that's what brings me here. I, th I think it's fine if you're in America, maybe because uh, America loves a cult. So. Um... Yeah. Maybe you should just describe yourself as psychedelic cult leader. <laughs> yeah, I think down. Brits take it in the with the intention with which it's meant, which is I I love talking about this stuff. I believe in it, and I want to share that with other people. That's good. Um, I I guess uh, back to it all, but you know, first things first. Um, can you can you say what uh, Par Global does? Yes. So uh, Par is a, a lobby group, an advocacy group um, that was set up. We founded only last year. Uh, from a group of volunteers who want to, sp to spread the word about the, the potential benefits of psilocybin. So PAR stands for Psilocybin Access Rights. And we are really looking to uh, encourage our politicians um, to change the scheduling around um, psychedelic medicine and psilocybin specifically uh, as the sort of forerunner for that um, to make psilocybin more available for researchers and for medical professionals. Um, and this is the most important thing, if, if you don't take away anything else, uh, under law, there's two things. There's the classification and the scheduling. And the classification is to do with whether or not you or I on the street are allowed to touch, hold, use a certain substance. And uh, if the law says we're not, then they can take it away from us and they can lock us up in prison. Um, and so there's class eight, B, C, and A is the highest sentence that you could get, and, and C is the least. And people really understand that very well. And so they talk about, do you want to kind of uh, uh, make uh, psilocybin legal for people? But that's not actually what we're asking for. We're not asking to change the classification. What we're asking for is the scheduling, which is a separate issue, because um, substances like, like morphine is a class A drug but it's a schedule two substance. And that's because every hospital pharmacy in the country carries morphine. It's a, it's a medicine, people need it. Ketamine is also in schedule two. Cocaine is in schedule two uh, because these substances have been recognized throughout history as, as things that, that researchers and, and medical professionals need to access because they have potential therapeutic benefits. Um, and that means that licensed people, doctors, researchers are allowed to access them. The problem we have is that basically all psychedelics, with the exception of ketamine, is in schedule one. And that means it has no known medical benefit. 
potentially addictive uh, and has a sort of whole host of potential problems. Uh, people just shouldn't touch this substance. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be accessed really at all. And you need a lot of home office licenses in order to access this substance at all. It puts a massive uh, quash on the amount of research that you can do. And what we're asking for is to let the science do the science. Uh, let the scientists uh, access these molecules, these psychedelic molecules, uh, particularly psilocybin, because it has the biggest, clearest, most obvious clinical benefit, um, and uh, and do what they're doing in, in America and elsewhere, which is doing a whole load more research and uh, allowing people a greater level of access uh, to something that has the potential to heal them. And uh, we believe, and our, our campaign group uh, believe that the uh, existing research already suggests, and it, and it does, uh, that this is a this is a medicine. And our recent advertising campaign uh, asked the question: Could magic mushrooms be medicine? Because psilocybin is the uh, psychoactive compound in magic mushrooms, and uh, it asked that question. Uh, but if you go to our website and you look up the data for yourself, I think you probably clearly see the answer is yes. And so this uh, this molecule should be in Schedule Two uh, or, or lower. Um, and not where it is at the moment. So we're asking the, the government to change that. Mm. It sounds quite a, a, an interesting thing to be involved in. How, how did you? How did this cr all cross your path? How did you get involved? Everyone in the psychedelic field, I think, has a sort of foundation story. Um, and it's usually not a very happy one to start with. Uh, it's very often um, that somebody, uh, that they were depressed or traumatized, or they had some kind of challenge, even even cluster headaches. Uh, whatever it was, some kind of uh, challenge they were facing uh, in which they found that psychedelic medicine found them and and changed changed that. And in my case, I was really fortunate that the period of depression I suffered many, many years ago now was very brief. But the only reason that it was brief was because I was able to access the psychedelic medicine that healed me. And I consider myself to be in the liberal elite of the UK. Um, I have money that means I can travel. Uh, to other countries in which these medicines are not uh, well, well, they are legal and they're able to be accessed. Um, and and more importantly, I consider myself in an elite because I know about this medicine. It's not even just about the money here. It's actually people don't realize. And the thing that moves me to uh, to this campaign and and the reason I, I I spend all of my time and my money and my energy. Uh, in trying to to do this and, and spread the word about this is that people give up hope. Um, the data we have suggests that something like 18 people kill themselves in this country every single day. Uh, depression is the single biggest cause of disability in our country and the, and the drive, main driver of suicide. And people give up. They give up hope. Uh, they've often tried everything. A third of people um, who are depressed in this country uh, will not respond to SSRI antidepressants, which are the leading uh, treatment therapy. Um, they've got no hope. They, and and what we want to show, and uh, with the government petition that we put together last year, uh, we want to push for the fact that there absolutely is hope. Um, and these medicines represent that hope. And for me, they were uh, the thing that, that healed me from my depression. And uh, I believe everybody has the right to to know that. And to see uh, and to and to have some hope for themselves that their depression uh, might well come to an end. Um, so that's yeah. I think everyone in this field has some kind of foundational story, and mostly it's about mental health. But as I say, the amazing thing about psilocybin 
is that if you ask the cluster busters association that we work with um what you know whether they want access they will say absolutely because a small piece of psilocybe mushroom placed under the tongue at the, at the beginning of a, um, a a terrible cluster headache attack uh, which they describe as one of the worst pains known to man apparently it's like having an ice pick through one of your eyes uh, the rate of suicide for that population is very very high uh, much much higher than than uh, elsewhere and uh, people sort of regularly kill themselves because of this level of pain it's excruciating they can't escape it they can't uh, medicate it away and yet they will say a small piece of this mushroom uh, will save them um, from these attacks and so they are very much with us uh, fighting uh, for the government to really start recognizing psilocybin is a medicine and magic mushrooms are a medicine. I guess I guess on that on that front I just want to um, briefly ask you kind of what your thought is of the because um, I, I guess this kind of I know you're sort of coming at it from the kind of medical research point of view, but but just as a sort of wider, um, and I guess people like to use the word optics, right? Like sort of how, how does it look or how what do people think of it as the society and uh, et cetera. Um, and I wondered what your your opinion was on the, the sort of state of the wellness industry in the UK um, and globally on that for that front, because, you know, you mentioned the US. Um, I'm assuming like... Because the US is more like, it's almost like a, a series of small countries, right? Where like some of them are more liberal than others, et cetera. So California and places, uh, you know, uh, got, got, you know, thriving, almost thriving CBD industries now. Um, and uh, I, I just wondered what your sort of s opinions are of kind of wellness and sort of where, where things are going. You know, is it, is it very, very slow progress or, you know, is there any hope anywhere? <laughs> I think it's too fast, actually. If you ask the, the psychedelic industry, which is, um, and it's it's already in the millions and millions of pounds and, and we're getting off sort of billions of pounds worth of business being done in the psychedelic industry that exists and with many sort of startups worldwide. I mean, one of the leading uh, lights in the, in the field IPO'd on the NASDAQ, and I think it was in 2021, for, for like 2 billion or something. It was sort of monstrous amounts of money that are flowing into um these startups often trying to look for new patents around these medicines um there's there's a lot going on in the field and actually america is is the is the test bed um in oregon in in 2020 there was a vote uh, a referendum where the the state actually voted to set up a statewide healthcare system dedicated to the use of psilocybin which would be taxed and would come into effect in january of this year that's now happened uh, but we are at the same time uh, going through this sort of teething period where um, the legislation in some places is catching up, but um, but not uh, always in the right ways um, that we've seen a couple of um, uh, industry giants in the psychedelic field, Synthesis, uh, that run a retreat program and, and Field Trip, another company that is uh, providing sort of microdosing with ketamine. And they have both faltered in the last few months. Uh, there's sort of bankruptcies and um, creditors involved. Um, and so in some cases, this is happening because uh, whilst Oregon has voted, uh, they've all, they've also had problems of getting premises. And, you know, you have to get through the, the there's still a lot of stigma associated with these medicines and people don't necessarily want clinics on their doorstep and in their backyard. And so um, I think that's been a, a challenge with field trip and so getting some of the bricks and mortar clinics up and up and running. 
Um, so it's really, I would say at the moment, it's extremely patchy. Um, anyone who works in mental health I, at a pharmacological kind of level, I think already recognizes this is coming. They've been talking about psychedelics at Davos and, and these kinds of places for a long time. Uh, a friend just got back from South by Southwest and said that was the number one word was psychedelic. It's not really going anywhere. And I don't believe, unlike, um, you know, I don't want to say the metaverse, but some of the other sort of trends that we see in the media world, uh, this is not, um, this is not a sort of, flash in the pan this is only going to go in one direction but the speed with which that happens is as i say difficult to predict patchy there are barriers to uh to business um and it's going to be uh, what i would love to see is the uk really picking up the mantle because there is a massive frankly financial opportunity for our country um to lead in this wellness uh, space and to become a, a, a center for the, for the world's greatest uh, retreat centers and, and, and psychedelic uh, clinics. Uh, at the moment, we are well behind, but it wouldn't take very much for us to catch up and, and even sort of leapfrog what is happening in America, which is where uh, these clinics are um, and, and delivery is sort of most advanced. It's still very much a burgeoning field. And I, I find as a volunteer, you know, who's got a day job, I find it almost impossible to keep on top of the latest um, information is there's a number of kind of psychedelic capital uh, newsletters that that keep me abreast of, of just about what's going on. But there's patents flying, and there's um, investments and seed rounds, and um, a lot of people trying to pursue um, uh, trying to make money out of this space. What I would say is the reason we call ourselves psilocybin access rights and not the psilocybin rescheduling project. Uh, which is where we actually originally began, is that we're very conscious when we get the rescheduling, there will be a lot more to do to drive access, equitable access for people of all kind of uh, persuasions and faiths and and uh, levels of income. Um, and, and that's going to mean that uh, a lot of these people who are, a lot of these businesses who are making money out of psychedelic uh, appetite and field in the market, I think that's only a good thing. It helps change the the uh, certainly the stigma associated with this field, and it shows people this is a real thing. Hey, you can make some money out of it. And frankly, a lot of our MPs listen to that, uh, as I found. But um, uh, the reality is that it's not about none of this is about making money. It's about healing people, and um, and that is the main objective, and it must be the main objective. And that's really why we need our governments to pick this up. I mean, hell. It took Corona to happen for us to be able to um, move people off trains and roads and get them working from home, or to get um, to be able to see a doctor, uh, you know, online uh, the day that you actually need to see them. And um, some of these things were are just so basic, and yet because we have politicians who didn't and don't understand what the internet is um, for the last, you know, however many decades, uh, we have been we've been let down or we're behind. And that can't happen again. We need our, we need our politicians to be ahead on this and to actually steward these medicines through um, for access very carefully. They are extremely powerful um, in the wrong hands and with the wrong people. Uh, they are genuinely dangerous. And so one of again one of the reasons I do this is I know it's going to happen anyway. But if I can bring it forward, then that's that's lives saved as far as I'm concerned. There will be people who either won't kill themselves or will be free of the addictions that are killing them 
um, due to these medicines. And 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 even even if that's one month sooner, I'd happily have that on on my gravestone. But the other reason that I do it is because as this comes into the popular consciousness, uh, there are real risks that our politicians will be behind, uh, and that there will either be setbacks for the field because of that, uh, because bad things will happen, and that will that will effectively um, yeah ruin it for everybody else and and the potential that's there. Um, but equally, I, I just think there's a lot of there's a lot of harm that can be done um, if we don't carefully manage uh, how people take these medicines in in the right way. We need to we need to kind of grow up as a society. We need a bit more education. A lot of people died from the motor car when it was first introduced, um, and that's that's what we need to watch out for. I know you I know you mentioned um, the sort of uh, the business case for these things. You know, like look at all the money you guys could make, etc. And I think um, I remember uh, reading a piece once. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was like our, uh, the London mayor, and uh, went on a trip to the US and realised just how much money was to be made from uh, CBD products, and or or perhaps actually it was it was no, actually it was cannabis products. Thinking about it, because um, obviously CBD is already around. Um, and I know like the whole aim behind this is to is to help people, right? Um, but uh, I do wonder sometimes if. You know, uh, the commercial argument is an easier way to get things through in, in you know, capitalist societies, etc. Um, and I, I like to, I, I would like to think that there is there is some kind of hope. But I was uh, reading the other day that our, our wonderful Home Secretary wants to, 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 I don't know if this will actually happen, but, but she wants to reclassify cannabis as Class A. Um, there was a there was a Days Digital article about it. Um, just well, and forget you know. cannabis. They want to criminalize young people, uh, you know, using nitrous oxide, which I'm. Absolutely oh, yeah. <laughs> raging about to I I, I can't I feel incandescent with rage. Um, I myself have been through this process recently where I've actually been trying to become a Conservative MP, and because I I wanted to infiltrate the party and and to see and because I consider myself a, a believer in freedom first and foremost, um, and I've never been quite as cosmopolitan in my views as as Labour or as the Liberal, Liberal Democrats. And for all I can see is that the Conservative Party is one thing one minute and then it's something quite else um, when it's got a new leader in charge. And so for a long time I thought, you know, could I could I become uh, an MP within the party? I'm clever, I'm bright, I've got my heart in the right place. But my God, those people, they won't let me in. And so... Um, uh, and, and they're, just, they're just too far to the right perhaps to... Uh... It's not that actually the the party the the party is very mixed. This right left thing I I think doesn't really apply, apply anymore. And I, I you know I, in if I were in America you'd consider me a um, uh, a Democrat for example. There's a lot of Democrats within the Conservative Party. Um, it it really the, the, there's um there's actually something uh, there's a really interesting way of, of looking at this that I can I could talk all day about. But I wouldn't. I'm not certainly not on the on the right wing. Um, I've been looking at some other parties recently that I think might kind of capture that maybe that Democrat spirit. I'm actually quite. I, I'm really really believe in nationalising a lot of uh, infrastructure, and I really believe in science. And that was the, the main thing. And and I've despaired of Labour as much as I've despaired of the Conservative Party in the in the last uh, while. Uh, our two parties just do not represent common sense. Uh, when it comes to drug policy, we need evidence-based drug policy, and the fact that they would choose to harm young people by giving them a criminal license, a criminal record, um, giving young people whose brains aren't even fully developed 
uh, by the age, and it's, it takes until about the age of 25 for the prefrontal cortex to fully sort of knit together. Um, so to tell, to give these young people a criminal record and ruin their lives for the sake of inhaling a substance which in the right conditions is is not actually going to cause them all that much harm, uh, potentially, uh, and certainly no more than alcohol. I mean, alcohol is desperately harmful. Um, so to, to tell them that they uh, will now be punished by society for the rest of their lives uh, because they've done something that causes littering. I mean, it's, it beggars belief. I, I'm absolutely furious. And, you know, I've always considered the Conservatives to be the party of freedom that, that above all else should protect that freedom. And yet I'm seeing behaviour that I, I believe is closer to, to Singapore. I mean, are we going to ban chewing gum next? It's really monstrous. But the, the fact that this is what they call drug policy, the fact that they would go against all of the recommendations of, of the Advisory Council for Misuse of Drugs, what is the point of that council? I, I just would really love to see uh, a politics of the future that, that, that represents science, uh, science first. And I, I do not understand uh, why we we put up with this shoddy thinking when we should be um, in that case we should be dealing with a bloody littering problem quite frankly and we can do that I work in a, a, a behavioral science practice um, and you know there are many great evidence based uh, interventions uh, that we could be using I mean you you go to Scandinavia my husband is Scandinavian and it's clean and people recycle and they don't litter and and the, those that do litter their litter gets picked up. Uh, because you, there's a return rate uh, for plastic bottles and these kinds of things. You get paid when you return them to the recycling facility. And so there's no plastic bottles on the street and there's no metal canisters on the street. And it's, it's very simple um, how we can deliver this. And instead, they're, ruin, they're going to ruin people's lives. And I just think it's, I think it's massively negligent. And mm. I think it's grandstanding. It's the worst kind of politics. So I'm furious about this at the moment. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, you've had ex-leaders, people like uh, Sir John Major and stuff, have, have, have criticised the well, the, the recent three PMs, I think, um, and uh, and uh, well, I suppose as well as people like Gordon Brown. So, uh, sort of, sort of elder, older statesmen have sort of come out and said, "What are you guys doing with all your decisions at the moment?" In the last few well, years, it's just a shame they won't let anyone into the party that that has that actual some leadership that that, that our elders would now recognise to be true. Uh, they've got this this system. Uh, which just means that anyone in at the top of these parties uh, is just obsessed with the party. But it's the party first. It's absolutely the party first, and and it just simply cannot be like that. I I think you know again to come back to this sort of Scandinavian thing. If we want to live like Scandinavians, the highest quality of, of life in in the world, the happiest people, we got to bloody vote like Scandinavians. We need proportional representation. We need people to start doing politics around the cabinet table rather than within this monstrous organization of the party quite frankly it's become it's, we've become so outdated and i i grew up believing that uh you know first past the post all of our system would allow us uh to um to have a dynamic country where we got stuff done and our executive was powerful and i've seen nothing of that in the last few years all we've seen is stagnation uh and bitter infighting within the parties themselves let alone between the parties we live in a society that is just ridden with conflict and we need to do better. I mean, if anyone's seen Borgen, the, the program about the Danish um, drama about the Danish prime minister, uh, you'll see it's just a completely different style of politics um, that that is practiced in the rest of the world, where they have got a proportionally representative system, and that is absolutely what we need. And I I fear that otherwise we're still going to be having the same conversation 
uh, you know, in a couple of years where our government are so backward on drug policy reform uh, simply because they, they think that they need to appear to be tough rather than doing the right thing by the population. Any group of sensible people, um, it, it, provided that they're not terrified of the Daily Mail, will see that this is this is nothing but sense. And I mean, I have been talking now in the last um, in the last year uh, to Conservative MPs who are listening and who are starting who are recognising the backbenches uh, recognise that there is great potential in these medicines because, quite frankly, we need it. We absolutely need it. And when did we give up on hope? When did we start saying that we're managing decline as a country and that you know that that our pro- problems are so great, our potentially particularly our mental health challenges, that they are so great um, that we just give up on people. You see people sitting on. I live in Margate. You see people sitting on the seafront, uh, drinking, uh, taking drugs, uh, and these people are. We give up on them. Our veterans who are more likely to you know kill themselves, uh, for whom more have killed themselves coming back from our combat zones than have died in combat. Uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, we've lost more of them when they came home. You know, these are the people that we write off as a society and say there's nothing to be done for them. They're sort of damaged goods. Well, they're not. There is hope. And I've seen with my own eyes um, the kind of miracles that can occur um, when you give people the right tools with these powerful medicines in the right circumstances. And it's not, not to say that that will help and that will work for absolutely everyone on every occasion, but where it does work, it matters to that person's life and, and to all of those around them. And I just, I'm, I despair at the moment. I'm so angry about the nitrous oxide nonsense um, that it's really, um, I, I, yeah, it's, it's such a, I think it's such a small, insignificant piece of legislation for the government and something that they think will win them some kind of middle-class vote uh, from people who care about antisocial behaviour, when all it will do is criminalise young children and ruin their lives, and 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 I think that those consequences are too great, and that if we really want to prioritise harm and reduction of harm, which is what I think is the is the greater good there, then we've got to find other solutions for littering. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think all of their battles at the moment are, are small battles, like small-minded thinking, small battles, and all short-term tiny culture war wins or whatever you want to call them. Um, although I, I saw a TikTok the other day that was um, uh, someone in the US and they were sort of saying the same kind of thing about uh, the US. They were saying, you know, of all the battles you could be picking, climate change, and they listed about 100 things. They said, what you're doing is attacking TikTok. <laughs> That's your battle at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's it, it does feel very, very small-minded thinking. I, I do wonder if, um, I don't know, you know, sometimes societies almost sidestep their governments and they just kind of get on with change themselves where they can. And I do wonder if more of that's going to come from 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 people. Um, I was reading an article recently about uh, UK wellness trends that was talking about the the shroom boom within mushrooms as as the new CBD, and um, but it also talked about things like mindful drinking uh, with uh, Gen Z and millennials moving away from binge drinking culture. Um, I guess just make deciding that they're creating the world that they want to be in, sort of thing. Um, and just to hell with everybody else a little bit. Um, and I, I wonder, are you, are you seeing these kind of kinds of things too? If people just going, you know, we're going to, the people above us aren't helping us, so we're just going to try and create our own reality. Yeah, and, and, and psychedelics absolutely have a, a massive role to play in that. I think they they do open people's, they literally open people's minds, um, give, provide them with new perspectives and, uh, and, and very often cause some reprioritization of, of what is important in their lives. 
there are those out there who are referring to them as sort of ecodelics in the, uh, a, a great number of people uh, in the modern era who experience these medicines not only become more connected to nature afterwards, um, but a, a, a great number of them are becoming more activist around uh, climate change. And, and that might be the cultural container in which we're living in, that this is the greatest challenge for our um, species and that, that actually uh, the uh, the medicines are, are are helping people to kind of live in um, in uh, alignment with that which they really want, which is a a, a safer, healthier planet. Um, I think it's it's interesting. Like the whole wellness movement was at some point, uh, you know, it was it was the stuff that was done to you. It was the, um, I think, of the kind of absolutely fabulous world of, you know, she paid for the massage and the colonic irrigation and the blah, 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 and all of these sort of treatments. Um, and over time, uh, as we again have, have kind of grown up a little bit as a, as a society, as we evolve forward, I think people have started to see that it's really, it's all about your own uh, consciousness of, of like how you uh, deal with your own agency in the world. Um, and and rather than expecting anyone else to fix you uh, and to and to treat you, you must you are the treatment. And uh, again, psychedelic medicine at at, at its best uh, has that very much that that effect. And and um, it's it's not something that's happening to you. Um, it's not in a psychedelic therapy experience. Uh, the, the medicine is 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 the medicine, not the therapist. And nobody else is kind of treating you. You, your level of openness, your level of preparation, and ultimately your your willingness to engage with uh, that experience afterwards. Something that we call integration um, after the experience is absolutely mission critical to uh, the success of of that. In terms of it being able to treat the challenge that you come to the medicine with, whether that is PTSD or depression or addiction, anxiety. Um, it, it's absolutely it's it's your role in making that work, and I think there is a shifting emphasis now, of which psychedelics are very much a part of that, of putting the onus back on back on you. It's it's your life to live, um, and you're the only one who can make it a, the brilliant, beautiful adventure that it ought to be. Um, but you know, I think psychedelics have a have a big role to play uh, in in that shift in emphasis um, from you know let the world sort of treat me to I, I am the world and I, I will live the best way that I possibly can. Mm, I mean, that, that, that sounds a bit relatively hopeful. Uh, <laughs> utopian. I'm told I'm a utopian. I said, and this is the thing, like, because people get very protective and upset about the psychedelic movement and it, and they say things like, oh, you're a utopian and like, um, uh, like that's a bad thing. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of, uh, protective, uh, influences who are, who, who are very wary of uh, the hype. So you talk a lot about the hype in psychedelic medicine and the fact that people, uh, you know, might want it to it to fix them in one in one dose in one experience. And if it doesn't, is that a big problem? And and again, I, I say the emphasis is on you. <laughs> like it's your life, is your story. And uh, if you if you don't feel uh, that you are uh, you know healed um uh, after a psychedelic experience that's fine because life is is every single moment and and there's another moment in which you feel you can kind of um uh, bring that joy into your life again it's always possible and and 
And just because you feel healed from one trauma in one minute doesn't mean to say further down the road that you're not going to suffer again. It's not. It's not like a one trick uh, experience. It's not, and it's not a silver bullet, and it won't work for everyone. And all of those things are true. And yet, I do also. I'm very fond of saying that I believe that this is our our generation's penicillin moment. In that penicillin doesn't fix everything, but it's damn helpful. And you wouldn't want to live in a world uh, in which you didn't have access to it. Uh, and in which it saved the life of, of you or your friends, uh, your family. So this this is important, uh, and it's and it's sort of not trifling. I, I think actually, the far-reaching impact of uh, having a tool that can really help aid our mental health in the same way that penicillin has with our physical health, um, is that the impact is not just on the individual, as I say. It's actually on domestic violence and obesity and lung cancer and all of the things that we spend money on as a society uh, trying to fix. Like we, There are so many knock-on uh, impacts from poor mental health um, that these medicines have the potential uh, to, to, tr to treat and to help. And if that makes me utopian, then I'd rather live in a world where I do have hope for the future. And it, and it shocks me that our politicians today um, don't have that, do not have that hope within them. I think that they, and they do not command that hope within the population and the behavior that we're seeing around drug policy in particular um, and how we treat young people is is disgusting, frankly, and we, we ought to do better. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, and, and, yeah, we had a theme at the magazine, um, I think it was actually last year, uh, it was utopia, utopias and dystopias, um, so it was sort of which one are we living in right now or are we in sort of a bit of a both? and. Um, annoyingly, they're, they're only monthly themes um, in a way, but like uh, something like that, like you can dig into it forever. Um, I know we're, we're sort of running out of time, so I just I just wanted to ask you, um, how did the campaign actually go? The 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 could magic mushrooms be medicine? You know, how was it how was it received? Because I guess it's it's a few weeks back or maybe longer now. Yes, yeah. Um, so launched in in January, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's well received. We we we. Our job really is to raise awareness of these medicines and, and to create the conditions in which our politicians feel that the social norm has shifted enough uh, that they are prepared to act and and to not live, we won't live in this sort of inertia anymore, which is is, this, is what we've got right now. There's a lack of urgency to do something. Um, and uh, so just seeing it, and at least I think we think 100,000 people would have seen uh just even from the Evening Standard article, then, which has a fairly big circulation, so there's some success for us there, and in signups, and in uh, the um, appetite for people to engage with us, and to not think that this is some kind of woo weird thing, but that this is the future. I mean, we're seeing uh, a sea change in how the the media uh, is dealing with with us and with the medicine more generally, um, and and the same is true of how politicians are dealing with us. So. Uh, we're looking forward. We've got some, um, hopefully there's going to be some more goings on in Parliament that we have up our, our sleeve as well, um, and that we we've been working on uh, closely with the Conservative Jog Policy Reform Group. Uh, the PAR was kind of, uh, it, it sort of sprang out of there and became its own its own, uh, its own own beast. Uh, but we've been working very closely with them on the, on the lobbying side to get as many politicians engaged. And I think we're really starting to, to see that now. Um, We've got plans for this year to try and uh, raise some more money to do some more advertising and just uh, further the word. And if there's any media owners out there that um, want to engage and uh, and help us in spreading this, then um, I, I believe that 
you know, we will we will change the law, and it may happen very quickly. Now we are making progress with the Home Office. Um, we need to we need to shuffle that over the line. And out, out of home advertising is actually really powerful media for that because uh, it's not something you see on your phone. It's something that you know that everybody else has seen, and that's really powerful for the kind of social norming uh, that we're seeking to do. So uh, print also, you know, we'd, we'd love we'd love a metro wrap. That would be our dream. Um, but you know that 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 will cost us money. So uh, we're we're engaging in some sort of fundraising now, and uh, anyone that wants to help volunteer, um, put their arm in. Uh, any any famous people listening, or people with famous friends, um, we want to talk to you. Uh, see if you can help, because I do think we'll look back and go, what a world we lived in where we didn't have access to this. It'll be like it'll be incredible to our children. Um, that that this was ever not available and that this was actually real barred um, from access. So it's kind of nuts, isn't it? Something that's essentially natural. It was just sitting there in the world. It was out of the ground <laughs> and it can yeah. completely change your life for the better. Yeah, and we're like, no, 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 no. That's too easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess I, I know you sort of get done done the plea, etc. But I was I was wondering if. It, as a as a final thought, um, is there any uh, thing that you'd like to sort of impress upon people, wh- whether they can help or not, or you know, signing up to a newsletter or anything that you'd like them to do? All of the above: newsletters, websites, social, all of that. But the thing I would say more than anything else is is talk to people, um, talk to people that you love that are suffering, uh, people with addictions problems, with anxiety problems, with uh, depression, and people you might not even think. Uh, that are feeling that way, but talk talk to them and talk to them about this medicine because it exists and um, nobody in this country should be killing themselves uh, for want of hope that they can live a better life um, because there is hope and uh, and that's that's the most important message, I think. Sounds good. Well, um, we'll, we'll put a bunch of links in the show notes to, to various things and projects and stuff you're up to and um, you know, hopefully lots of people will get involved um, and you'll have to let us know if they do and what happens. Um, but yeah, for now, um, just say thank you so much for a really interesting discussion and uh, thanks for coming on the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.